Welcome to another episode of the Everything College Basketball Podcast, your home for the latest news and analysis from the world of college hoops. Back again are your hosts, Josh Burton, Phil Dexter, and Corey Gardner. What is up, you guys? Welcome back to another edition of the Everything College Basketball Podcast, episode one, number 18. Let me say that a little better. 118, not number one, number 18. I'm, of course, your host, Josh Burton, and joining me yet again, back like we never left before, I got my buddies Peyton Burton, Phil Dexter. What is up, my guys? What's going on, man? Feels like it's uh, it's been a while since we've done one of these. Got to kind of get back in the groove, you know what I mean? Get the, get the joints loosened up. <laughs> we've got to get that stretch routine, right? We've got to do little hammies, a little quads, a little elbow stretches. Or you guys need to. You guys are both old. I'm still in my prime, so I'm chilling. Yeah, I'm not going to worry about pulling a muscle or something. Man. <laughs> well, you know, we were talking off air before we went live, and I was like, man, I know how to do this. It's just been a minute, and it has been a couple months. Um I think there's no secret. We've been promoting the hell out of it on the Facebook, on the Twitter, and anywhere we can promote it. We've got this mega project that got revealed a month or two ago that you guys know we've been working all summer long and into the early fall now on the big magazine, the first ever ECB um, preseason magazine. It's a massive endeavor. Uh, We cannot thank you guys all enough. That's dropped the $5 on the pre-order. Pre-order just ended yesterday. However, you can still get the magazine. It'll be a digital magazine. Price does jump to $10 because, well, I mean, you should have got it during the pre-order. But we can't think. We've outdone our our total sale numbers. Not going to reveal those. Just know that the fact that one person has bought this magazine means the world to us, let alone almost, I, again, not going to get the numbers, but it's a good, healthy number. Fellas, this magazine it has been a long and tedious effort to put together as an independent magazine, but damn, it's coming along nicely. Yeah, uh, I'm glad that we decided to do this. Um, you mentioned the orders. The orders have done very well. It's pretty much exceeded any expectation that I've had uh, towards this magazine coming out. Uh, it'll be out October 24th, so pretty much in nine days from now. Not this upcoming Monday, but the next Monday after that. So make sure you go get your orders in. The pre-order ended um, yesterday, a Friday. Um, it was $5 for pre-order, but that ended. Now it's bumped up to $10. So go ahead. If you haven't ordered uh, a copy of your magazine yet, go ahead and do it now uh, before it's too late. But all the hard work and dedication going into this magazine from us three and you know anyone who's ever helped us uh, with this magazine and everything else has been it's really cool and I can't wait to see all the hard work shine and I'm ready for this release date, baby. And, and Phil, I like you got to speak on it because this was your idea. Um, we started this months and months ago, uh, basically right in the springtime, and to see it come together, man, it, it's a big moment for us, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, first of all, like you guys said, the uh, the orders have exceeded anything that I expected. Um, obviously, you know, when we put this together, we expected and hoped that people would enjoy it. But, you know, the the support that we've already gotten before it's even come out has been amazing. And, uh, you know, I just hope people see when it comes out, you know, how much a labor of love this has been for all of us as well. You know, we all love college basketball. Um, we love covering the sport. You know, we do our best to to really get locked in as much on, you know, the mid-majors and the smaller conferences as much as we do the, uh, you know, the power six, power seven, whatever you want to call it these days. But uh, so I, re- I really hope that comes through when this comes out. And I think it will. Yeah. yeah. I have no doubt. Sorry, Peyton. I have no, no doubt definitely. it's going to. Um, and and uh, some stuff you can expect to see in there. Again, it is a digital copy, which is nice because 
Um, you know, not everybody wants to go out or goes out anymore post-COVID era. It's nice to be sitting at home, do whatever you want to do, go through your email, check it. It'll be interactive is the plan. Uh, so that way, if you want to specifically go look at like Indiana or Purdue or Kentucky or Illinois or whoever, you can go click a tab, go to the Big Ten. It'll take you right to the team that you want to go see. I mean, some stuff to expect in there. You're going to have your power six conferences, every team covered in there, top to bottom. You're going to have your previews in there for every conference. You're going to have the top 50 players in America, according to us, in the in the magazine. You're going to see uh, every conference covered as far as predictions go. Pretty much all you could want to get yourself ready for the start of the 2022-2023 college basketball season is going to be in there. And this is such a massive – it's not like we have millions of dollars behind this just yet, and it's not like we're this massive organization. This is an independently funded and worked-upon project. And, again, we cannot thank you guys enough, and we can't wait for October 24th when those first hit the emails. Yeah, and you mentioned the top 50 players. Actually, today we release, or I release, uh, players 46 through 50 of our top 50 players. I'm going to be doing this every day. Tomorrow on Sunday, I'll release 41 through 46. And then by the time the release date on October 24th or Monday, you'll find out before the release, before we decide to release it, everyone, you'll find out who players one through five will be. So it's timed up perfectly for us. Um, I can't wait to watch this magazine or see this magazine come out and hear you guys' thoughts on. Because it's basically just us three doing this uh, whole magazine. We've done all the research. Um, it's not like any other magazine that's come out. They have like 10 different writers um, or people helping them out. So this is just us three doing it. We've done, we put a lot of hard work in it. And I'll tell you what this magazine has done for me. Josh, me and you, ever since we started this podcast, I really just pay attention to the majority of the Power 6 conferences. Um, but this magazine has made me, has brightened my eye on like, um, Conferences like the MEAC and the Horizon, conferences I probably would never really give an eye to. But if it wasn't for this magazine, I wouldn't really pay too much attention to it. But now that I have, and I'm excited for some of these conferences. And, and I, I cannot, watch you. I cannot like, wait till the magazine comes out and you guys start diving through some of those lesser known conferences because there's a couple, and I know we all have these. We kind of broke them down which ones we were doing. I know there's a few that really excite me. Um, just a little teaser, like a team like Longwood, the Lancers, made their first ever NCAA tournament last year, 25-win team. They bring back just about everybody. I mean, this is another team that it's a year older, they're pretty much the exact same team. Um, this is one of those teams, after you read the magazine and kind of do, you know, looking around and watch them, yeah, I'm not saying they're going to beat some of the big boys, but I'm telling you right now that if you're wanting an upset pick, Right here in October, you know, Longwood gets in the tournament as like a 14 seed, 15 seed, maybe even as high as a 13, depending on how regular season goes. A Longwood team's good enough to upset a team in the first round. So that's the fun part of this, is getting a jump start on some of these smaller teams ahead. And I cannot wait for that to come out on October 24th. Finishing up a couple other housekeeping items here. Um, we've got a lot of big stuff coming up. Uh, we have a massive piece of news coming out in the next few weeks that you'll want to keep your eye out on for that'll change the course of everything college basketball in a positive keep your eye out on that um we did what we're here today for in episode 118 is to talk about our top 25 poll now if you guys have followed us for the last four seasons you know that we do this every year and usually it's peyton and i that put this together well this year there's a slight change to it phil obviously full-time member with us great asset that we picked up last season um, he's a major part of this. 
We have respected media members, knowledgeable fans, former coaches, former head of officiating, our buddy uh, John Adams, who was on the show a few episodes back with us. We have a strong cast of respectable characters, and this will be a weekly top 25 poll that ECB will present you with every Monday as the season rolls on. So you can expect that moving forward. But we're here to talk about the preseason top 25 today. Kind of break down how the votes shook out because it is a majority vote. And I'm going to let Phil, it was his idea on the weighted votes, kind of explain how certain teams got ahead of others because there are a weighted vote. But Phil, the fact that we have this all-star cast that will be a weekly, not just a preseason. This is the first year we're doing a weekly top 25 poll with respected members of this panel I think that says a lot about the future of everything college basketball. Absolutely. I mean, <clears throat> it's it's been awesome, you know, just in the past, even last year to participate with you guys and just putting together a top 25 at the end of the year. But it's been really cool, you know, just seeing, you know, we have 12, I believe, voters on this poll. And it was really cool just seeing the votes come in. And even if you didn't agree with where everybody voted, it, all these people we respect so much that it's just, it's been very interesting to see you know, sort of how it played out. And you mentioned the waiting on the votes. It's it's a very simple system, to be honest. I mean, I don't know if this is the, the best way to do it, but this is just the simplest way in my mind. Um, you know, if you get, finish first place on a poll, you get 25 points. If you finish 25th, you get one point. And obviously, vice versa in between. Um, so there are some, some ways that things can get skewed if somebody has, you know, a team much higher that, that can play into things a little bit. But I think for the most part, we came out with some really solid results in the first poll. I think our hours, when the AP gets released here in a few weeks, right before the start of college basketball on November 7th, I think ours will match up very similar to the AP poll. And if it doesn't, that's great too, because as we've seen in the past, the AP poll doesn't always get theirs right. <laughs> I mean, they have, what, 50-some voters and we've seen in cases like last year where Auburn was the consensus number one to just about anybody who had knowledgeable college basketball eyes. And because one voter put them at like seventh, it knocked them off that top spot. Um, I don't think that's going to happen too much here. I think we're going to have it pretty accurate. I know that's kind of blowing smoke up our own ass, but I do respect our opinions and the people on our panel that's voters. Um, so I'm excited about that. A weekly deal every Monday. I can't wait for you guys to see that. But uh, we did drop the preseason top 25. We will have that up on screen here in just a few minutes. If not, it was on the Facebook and the Twitter. By the way, guys, we are streaming live, as always, on the Twitter, at ECB Podcast 10 on Twitter. If you're not following us, go give us a follow. And the Facebook group, you just go to facebook.com. Type in the search bar, Everything College Basketball, send a join invite, and we will accept you in there. We're also on the YouTube. I lied. I'm sorry. We're not on the Twitter right now. We're on the YouTube and the Facebook, but still go give the Twitter a follow. We have some great information on there. And I'd be remiss, guys, as always, our title sponsor for year five of Everything College Basketball is Beauty to Beast Nutrition, located in downtown Edinburgh, Indiana. The owner, Natasha, decided to bring her brand on board. And let me tell you, Beauty to Beast Nutrition is a healthy, I guess you would call it a juice bar. You can get your skinny teas. You can get your keto coffees. And they taste so good. They have a new, like for uh, October, they have new coffees and teas that are kind of fall, Halloween specific. And I have fallen in love with this drink called the Grave Digger. It's got like caramel dolce, it's got white chocolate, it's got strawberry, 
and it tastes like the best tasting milkshake. It goes down so easy. It is mwah, beautiful, fantastico. Um, I literally drink one every week if I can. I drink one every day if I could do it, but so good. And it's a coffee that tastes like a milkshake. I mean, it's phenomenal. But again, we got to shout out Beauty to Beast Nutrition in downtown Edinburgh, Indiana. If you're around the central Indiana area or you're just passing through, give her a, give them a stop. Tell them ECB sent you. Get a flat 10% off your entire purchase. Whether you get one drink, four drinks, 10 drinks, you're going to get 10% off the entire purchase. And the owner, Natasha, beautiful lady, tremendous conversations, always greet you with a smile. Guys, I know you're as excited as I am that Beauty to Beast Nutrition is on board with everything college basketball in year five. Yeah, man, if you don't want to get a coffee, go get you one of those watermelon Thunder Busa teas. That thing is so damn delicious. And I tried that my first time going there. It was the first thing I tried. Um, and I've loved it ever since then. I even got my dad hooked on it. So that's how good it is. Go check them out. Yeah, just super thankful to Natasha. Um, you know, I don't live in the area, so unfortunately I haven't been able to try it, but just seeing the pictures that you guys post and, you know, I also follow them on Facebook uh, and Instagram. And so seeing just all the different drinks that they post, um, it looks fantastic. If I'm ever there, I will certainly be making a stop by. And uh, like Josh said, Natasha's just super nice. We We couldn't ask for anything more than her support. So it's been awesome. Yeah, tremendous having Beauty to Beast on for year number five. And fellas, actually... We're, as you see, Peyton's got their top 25 poll. By the way, Phil, people love the old school logos. I know when you sent it to us the night before release date, I was like popping for the old school because I'm a sucker for the old school. And then when it got released on Twitter, people love the old school logos. So nice touch on that. I mean, I think everybody likes a little taste of nostalgia. Um, some of them were definitely like super old school. Some of them I had to go with, you know, more like alternate type stuff. Um, so people would still be able to kind of tell who the team was. But yeah, overall, it got a super positive reception, so I'm very happy. One last bit of housekeeping. Um, again, if you're following along with us live on the stream right now, um, we got to give a shout out to our friends. They've been with us. They gave us, I've told the story, they gave the blessing. Conrad gave the blessing for us to be their sister site. Everything Pro Wrestling, Conrad Cushman, they, they just do it right, man. Pro Wrestling's hot right now, specifically WWE. It's so much fun. There's only one place on Facebook. They've got a Facebook group at EPW Show. And on Twitter, I think it, their handles is EPW Show as well. Go give them a follow. Conrad does this thing right. He's got you covered head to toe for everything pro wrestling. And he does it in a drama-free source, which is the key ingredient when it comes to pro wrestling right now. Everybody's got an opinion, but they've all want to do it to stir some kind of shit. Conrad does it right. So I... I just want to give some love to Conrad. He was in the fate or he was in the YouTube chat right now. So guys, go give everything pro wrestling a follow. Um, well, quick. I'm Josh. I know I haven't been on the show since July 11th on episode 100 and, or 112. I almost pointed you earlier. Uh, but damn, you still be still in my ad reads. Oh, you really still an ad read. I just gave a shout out. Listen here. EPW is the only way to go. So, but I mean, if you're like, ever looking for a time to jump back into pro wrestling, too, now is the oh, time. Absolutely. Now is the time. I'm back in it. I'm ready. I'll yeah, I'm, I'm full headfirst. Yeah, I, I don't miss, and it's a nice little buffer zone while we're waiting on college basketball to start in a few weeks. But speaking back, turn our attention back to the college basketball side of things. Oh, you're welcome, Conrad. You're welcome, my friend. But turning our attention back to the pro uh, college basketball side of things, as you see up on the screen right now, if you're following along live with us, we have the annual 
ECB top 25 poll put on the, on the, almost the television screen, on the screen right now. Um, for our audio listeners who haven't maybe seen it yet or listening to traditional audio when this comes out later tonight, we will go through the top 25 and then we will break down certain teams, positions, and everything. So let's start from team number one to team 25 and then we'll break down everything. In the number one spot in the ECB top 25 preseason poll is North Carolina. They kind of dominated. I think they they were almost unanimous. I think one voter had Houston ahead of them, but North Carolina is going to be really good. Can't wait to dive into them. Two is Gonzaga. Three, we have Houston. Four, Kentucky. Five, Arkansas. Six, Creighton. Seven, Kansas. Eight, Duke. Nine, Baylor. Ten, UCLA. Teams 11 through 15. At 11 is Tennessee. 12 is Texas. 13 is Indiana Hoosiers. 14 is TCU. 15 is Auburn. And then 16 through 25, we have Virginia. We have Villanova 17, Arizona 18, San Diego State 19, Illinois 20, Alabama 21, Oregon 22, UConn 23, the Miami Hurricanes 24, and the Texas Tech Red Raiders 25. Fellas, I think this is a great list. I think this is exactly going to mirror what the AP poll is in some shape or fashion. Sons, maybe a, a few positions here or there. But I think this overall is a very accurate list. I think it's a responsible list. And I do think whether you like them, you love them, you hate them, North Carolina is the number one team coming into college basketball this year. Absolutely. You mentioned it, Josh. We They were a near unanimous number one. We did have uh, one vote for Gonzaga and one vote for Houston as well. Um, but, you know, UNC brings so much back from that team that got hot at the end of last year, you know, made a run of the national championship game ruined coach k's final game at cameron and his final game overall um and, and they bring in a couple of nice pieces as well I, I don't think there was any way in my mind any way that you could go with somebody other than unc at number one no if you're doing a preseason top 25 poll for college basketball this year i think you have to start with the north carolina tall hills they just bring too much too much back and the two additions you mentioned with the freshman and transfer from northwest and pete nance coming in they just bring too much back and then no, I think Carolina, I mean, like like you guys have both mentioned, yeah, they do lose Brady Manick, but that's really all they lost, and they replaced him in a guy in Pete Nance, a little bit more athletic, doesn't shoot as well as Brady did, but a, kind of that same role, and I think they're going to click. And the most important thing for me, Armando Baycott's back. This is the year's big man. You're going to find out in the magazine uh, throughout the top 20 or the top 50 players list as we talk through college basketball. You're going to find out this is the year of the big man. I'm not going to say it's making a full return, but this year there's a lot of great inside interior post players. Armando Baycott coming back is massive for this Tar Heel team. But the guy that excites me is how well towards the back end of the year through the ACC tournament and especially in March Madness when they made the run to the title game that Caleb Love finally started looking like the Caleb Love we thought he was going to be two years ago coming in as a freshman in North Carolina. That dude took – oh, how many times in the NCAA tournament was he automatic from the three-point line? And then if you close out hard and try to body him up, he got to the rim and made something happen. He finally, at the end of the year, looked like the Kevin Love we all – or Kevin Love, I'm sorry. Kevin Caleb Love. Love. Yeah, Caleb – they look a little different. Play a little yeah. different. But Caleb Love – he finally looked like we all thought he would. Did he not? 
Yeah. Matter of fact, he's the one that put the nail in the coffin on Coach K's career last year in the Final Four. He's the one who had that big shot to put the dagger to Duke. Uh, but, yeah, Caleb Love, especially second half of the season, really once the, um, the month turned to March, he started to put it on, and he had some incredible performance in the tournament. Yeah, you know, you mentioned Caleb Love, and I think in that same breath we have to mention R.J. Davis because their, their yep. you know, emergence kind of coincided with one another because, you know, Caleb – we finally seen him become that lights out scorer that we all thought he could be, but that was because Hubert finally made the adjustment to play him off the ball a little bit more, let RJ get everybody else involved. And then when they need a bucket, just get Caleb the ball and get the fuck out of the way. And that's honestly the, the type of team that they have and the type of attitude they need to have. That's a great point in preparation last night, doing magazine work and getting ready for the podcast today. I went back and watched North Carolina Baylor, that great game in the tournament where Baylor got knocked off as the one seed. Carolina almost choked at the end, had to go to overtime. But when they were putting it on Baylor, and I know Brady Manick had a big part to do with that. He had like 25 before he got ejected. Um, just watching R.J. Davis and Caleb Love just dice up a very good Baylor defensive side. Uh, it, those two were playing with so much confidence, and you're right, putting Love off the ball where he doesn't have to have the ball in his hands to run the offense. He can look for his shot, and you started to see the fruits of that labor by his increased three-point percentage going up and making more shots. And it reminded me of Kentucky. They're, talent-wise, there was not as good as the 1996 Untouchable Wildcats. I don't know if anybody's ever been. But the change in that season – is when Anthony Ed or not Anthony Edwards? I'm sorry, um, I just lost his name right now. Uh, but when Coach Patino made the switch and took Tony Delk off the point guard spot, he was running point. They get beaten by UMass. It's not really working. He goes to a two guard, and then Tony Delk starts to blossom. The offense blossoms. A lot of similarities in that situation to North Carolina. And I think you're going to see a heavier dose of that this year. R.J. Davis's ability to handle the ball under pressure and hit three-point shots really opened that North Carolina offense up as well. Without a doubt. I mean, the one question I have about this Carolina team is, are we giving them a little too much credit for how hot they finished last season and overlooking some of the flaws that they definitely had? Um, but I also think, you know, you mentioned it. They, the only thing they really lose from this team is Brady Manick. And Pete Nance, in every way other than shooting, is an upgrade over Brady Manick. He's more athletic. He's a better defender. I'd say he's probably a better rebounder. Um, so I think with with everything else that they're returning and should be improved on offense, they can overcome losing the shooting of Manick a little bit. And then I expect Seth Tremble to be a good player for them this year. I'm not saying he's going to play a huge role for them, but I think he can give them some really solid minutes at guard off the bench give Caleb Love and R.J. Davis, you know, a little breather each because he's kind of that combo guard. He should be able to get everybody else involved, but should be able to get some buckets for himself as well. Um, yeah, I just – I love this Tar Heels team. And, and yeah. I'm with – sorry, Peyton. I, I'm with you real quick, though, on the – a little bit of the skepticism of Carolina because it wasn't that long ago. It was back in January when they were getting blown out by Wake Forest at Wake Forest, and our buddy Davian Williamson went for 22 on his birthday. It wasn't that long ago in February that Carolina loses a game. I think it was to Virginia, and we were questioning if they should even be in the tournament. And then they get hot. It's funny how a hot run, though, can change perspective, but the fact that they did get hot, they figure out how to win, and they're bringing us nearly all those guys back. 
I still think you got to go off of what you've known recently. And I think that they've got some motivation and they're playing well, and that's when it mattered. And I think they got to be number one. And you mentioned, or you talked about Brady Manic and losing some of that three-point shooting that they had last year. They're really not losing too much because I know, I don't know what Brady Manic's numbers from the three-point line last year was, but Pete Nance and Northwestern shot 42% from three. So I don't think you're losing too much. That's a good, that's a good point. And not only that, I'm forgetting to mention Leaky Black's coming back, a defensive superstar for them. So he's going to help lock down whoever uh, the other opposing team's best player. So I'm really liking the re-addition of Leaky Black coming back for a senior year. So we go to Gonzaga. Phil, you mentioned Gonzaga in our poll did get a, a first-place vote. Um, Gonzaga is number two in the poll here. You know, bringing back um, Drew Timmy, you know, bringing back, I know they bring other pieces. Julian Strother's back. Hunter Salas is back. They've got a lot of talent back. But Drew Timmy's the guy. If he doesn't come back, we're talking about a good Gonzaga team that's ranked probably top 15. He's back, potential All-American National Player of the Year. Um, this changes. Now it's a potentially great Gonzaga team. What do you expect to see from Gonzaga that's different? No Chet Holmgren. They're not going to have that unicorn out there stretching defenses and blocking shots. But I think they can get back to more traditional Gonzaga style where they'll want to put up a lot of offense. But maybe we've seen it a couple of years ago where they got really good defensively when they were unbeaten until the title game. I think they can kind of get back to that more where they're more physical, should we say. I definitely think you could see him be more physical. You know, you mentioned everything they're bringing back. Uh, Rasir Bolton comes back as well, but then they have a ton of additions. I mean, they bring in Efton Reed from LSU, seven footer, 250 pounds. They bring in Malachi Smith out of Chattanooga, a kid who can just flat out score the ball. Um, in addition to everything that they bring back from a team that, you know, went to the Sweet 16, um, has experienced, you know, moderate success in the tournament I guess you would say they've they've made some you know pretty standard runs but if there's anybody in the country that has the talent that I would say you know matches right up with Carolina at every spot it's Gonzaga you know they're deep at guard we didn't even mention Nolan Hickman um, Hickman yeah that's right yeah Nolan Hickman I mean they they have so many guards between you mentioned Salas um Julian Strother Nolan Hickman Malachi Smith uh you know, it goes on and on. Rasir Bolton, like I mentioned, there's so much depth there. Their front court is a little thin. I mean, you have Drew Timmy and you have uh, Efton Reed, Reed, and that's really it. But I, I think, on, obviously, they're going to get through the WCC fine. That's that's sort of a foregone conclusion every year. The style of play that's played out there isn't really going to challenge a weak front court. But that's going to be the question for them come tournament time is if somebody can get Efton Reed or Timmy in foul trouble early, can this team, you know, come up with a seventh or eighth man that can really play some solid minutes for them? So here's my thought, and I'll put it out to you both. Um, Efton Reed, anybody watching LSU last year, dude's a monster. And I was talking about physicality. He will bang with you. Um, and I don't know if his scoring is good enough, though, that you could play Timmy at the four and him at the five and use them almost to protect Timmy as much because Gonzaga, as always, because they have to due to their conference, they load up on non-conference. They got games. They got to go at Texas and play this year. They're playing Kentucky essentially at home. Um, uh, you know, Oscar versus Drew. And the one thing we do know about Drew Timmy against physical play, he does pick up fouls. He's not as good when somebody bodies him up, and I will argue that for days. When somebody bodies him up and is very physical with him, 
he tends to get in foul trouble and he's not as good as he is against somebody that lets him go to work on the block. If Afton Reed can be somewhat of an offensive threat, I'd like to see them play together a little bit more around all them tremendous guards and wings they have. I think the key for Gonzaga continue to be a top five offense Put your points up. By no means do I say drop the points. Put your points up. But I think if they are to make a finally win a title and get the monkey off Mark Fuse back, they have to be a top 15, top 20 defense again. It has to be there because we know they're going to score. They can't go games where they're scoring 105 points but giving up, you know, 89 to St. Mary's. That's got to be their defense has got to be top 15, top 20 in the nation at best. If they can do that, we're talking about this Gonzaga team that can win it all. And I think they will be. I think they will be a top 15, maybe even a top 10 defense this year. Because, Josh, you made a great point, point earlier when we was talking when you was talking about Gonzaga, about how on the defense they'll probably be better without Chet Holden. Because when you have like a seven-foot shot blocker down low, your premier defense is going to maybe suffer a little bit because you're pretty much going to – if you get beat, you're not really worried about getting in front of them because you got a seven-foot shot blocker down low who's going to block anything that comes to them. So you can kind of, if you get B, it's not the worst thing possible when you have a guy like Chet Holgum, you know, just blocking shots. Or if he's not blocking, he's deflecting it or he's just changing the shot trajectory. Um, so not having him and really have to rely on the perimeter defense this year because they don't have a shot blocker down low, um, that, I think the perimeter defense is going to be a lot better like it was two years ago. It'll be interesting to see for me to see how these lineups do shape up for them because I think they may end up having to play a lot of kind of four out. Um, and Julian Strother is going to have to play sort of this hybrid guard forward role. So those are the concerns I have. But, you know, you guys mentioned it. I think they actually could be a better defense as much as strange as that sounds without Holmgren because, you know, Peyton highlighted everything. You know, you tend, even not after your beat, but just knowing that you have that safety buffer behind you tend to play a little bit looser defense. So I think you could see them really lock in on the perimeter. And uh, I don't, honestly, I don't know if I see them as a top 10 defense because I think the pace that they play on offense is still going to be so high, but I I think they should be somewhere in that 10 to 20 range. And I want to see Nolan Hickman's growth as a sophomore because he didn't play as much as maybe he even thought he was probably going to play. And that's just because he had guys ahead of him that were far better at the time. I want to see how he develops. He's former uh, – I don't think he ever got up to five-star. He's a four-star kid. Originally committed to Kentucky, goes to Gonzaga and said because he's out that way. I want to see how he develops. If he can develop, I think that's a huge X factor off the bench, potentially in the starting rotation. Hunter Salas, we know the kid's got a lot of talent. I think you'll see a jump. Julian Strother, to me, besides Drew Timmy, is the key to this team. He's a two-way guy can make shots, can run with the ball if need be. I think his production, I could see him averaging like 15 a game, shooting 39 40% from deep. I think that's a big, big piece for Gonzaga if he's rolling and healthy. Um, let's go through the rest of the top five, and we can talk about him if we want. Houston at three, they had a first-place vote. Kentucky at four, Arkansas at five. Five or three really good teams there. Uh, which one of the three do you want to start with? Uh, let me start with Houston real quick, and I'll just be real quick with that. Because on paper, if you look at who's coming back and who's leaving them uh, this year, they lose four double-digit scores. They lose Kyla Edwards, Fabian White, Josh Carlson, and uh, T- uh, Taz Moore. Um, that's four double-digit scores, but they at least bring back 
a superstar, top five, top ten player in Marcus Sasser. He's coming back for his senior year, 17.7 points per game. Uh, Jamal Shedd's coming back for his junior year, 10 points per game. That's going to be a disgusting duo this season. They bring in a five-star forward, Jairus Walker. Uh, they also bring in a four-star forward, Tance Arsenal. I think that's how you say it. I hope so. Um, if I butchered your name and you listen to this podcast, I apologize. Um, but anyways, yeah, this Houston's team defensively is always going to be good. Um, it really depends on guys or it really depends on the bench play. How deep can they go? Uh, can their guard play hold up outside of guys like Marcus Sasser and Jamal Shedd? Um, but I really, I do like, I see why everybody was waving on this Houston team. I actually like this Houston team a lot coming into this year. Phil, well, and they got my- Tremont Mark coming back as well, you know, who missed most of last season. Mm, yeah. Injury. Um, so yeah, I agree with everything you said about Houston. I think they're absolutely loaded and maybe better than last year's team. Real quick, what do you, as far as like coaches in college basketball this year, where do you rate uh, Kelvin Simpson? Uh, I think he's going to be top five. I think top no five Coach as well. K, no Coach K, no Jay Wright. I think he's going to be top five, especially uh, yeah, rebuilding I mean, jobs. This has got to be one of the best rebuilding jobs we've ever seen. That's exactly where I was going with it. Is I, I don't see how you leave him out of the top five because this Houston yep. team was, I mean, they were fucking dead in the water before he got there. Well, the other thing I want to talk real quick about Houston before we move on is what's the thing that you know Kelvin Sampson teams to be known for? And that's defense. They were number eight in Ken Palm last year in the nation. Uh, They were phenomenal. They're going to be good again this year. They play – I mean, they were 10th in offense. They can get up and score. They had a couple games like Bryant, which was a tournament team last year. They put 111 points on them, held them to 44. They They can play on both ends of the ball, but they start with defense. Their defense will create a lot of their offense, will create a lot of the runouts that they can create turnovers. They are going to be very solid defensively again this year, which is going to make them tough to play against. The other thing I think it's going to help them, and this is no shot, I guess it kind of is, but it's the conference they're in. The AAC is not really great this year. Cincinnati is going to be all right. Memphis, eh, we'll see. But there's not a lot of great teams in the AAC this year. And Houston should come out relatively unscathed. I don't think they're going to go unbeaten by any means. Somebody will get them. Maybe even two two teams will get them. Maybe the same team beat them twice. Who knows? But what I'm saying is as long as they stay healthy, the way they play defense and the conference helps them, a lot like Gonzaga in a way, I think they could come out unscathed. And it wouldn't surprise me if Gonzaga – I mean, I'm sorry, Houston isn't a number one seed come tournament I- time. I think they can be. Another thing we're not mentioning is last year, especially last year. I don't know where they ranked as far as uh, rebounding percentage, but they're a great rebounding team. They were last year. They were in the tournament. Uh, you mentioned I t- talked about the four guys that they lost. All four of those guys pretty much averaged five rebounds or more. So guys like Ch- uh, J.S. Walker coming in and Terrence Arsenal, they're going to have to learn how to they rebound. Were, they were number three in offensive rebounds. Yeah. They rebounded the ball on the offensive end 37.7% of the time. Well, Defensively, so they were more they were more middle of the pack, like one seventy three. But offensively, they just throw dudes to the glass and go get it. I was, yep. So much of that rebounding is effort on their part too, because they were actually an undersized team last year, and yeah. that's where I think you know a guy like Walker coming in at six eight and two hundred and forty pounds should just be an absolute monster on the glass for them, because Calvin Sampson is going to get every bit of effort out of that kid. Yeah, and you got to play hard to play for Kelvin. Like, if you don't play hard, it, those rankings don't matter. He won't play you, which is a nice thing. So we got Houston. We know they're going to be good. Let's talk Kentucky real quick. Big Blue Madness was last night. Or last night, 
um, as we are sitting here recording on Saturday evening of uh, October 15th. Let's just be honest. Kentucky is going to be deep. We know the season ended terribly last year with the loss to St. Peter's, but we also know the regular season, they were phenomenal for most of it until injuries hit. Um, looking at this Kentucky team, you bring the National Player of the Year back in Oscar Sheboy, the unanimous National Player of the Year. Um, we haven't seen that since Tyler Hansborough back in 2008-2009 for North Carolina, and Carolina won the title in 2009. Can Kentucky and Oscar do the same thing? If you hear Oscar talk in every interview he does, he says all the awards are individual and they are nice. But I do not want to leave here with just individual awards. I want title number nine. Me and my teammates talk about it. We write it down in the mirror or on the mirror. We write it down as like affirmations. We will not leave here unless we get title number nine. And I think they're motivated. They got a head start against everybody because they did. It, this was their four-year rotation to get to play in the Bahamas. We covered that on the Facebook group back in July when it happened, or August, I'm sorry, when it happened. Um, they blew the teams out like they should while rotating. And along with Oscar, I think you're poised for a Jacob Toppin breakout year. The dude just, his three-point shooting came along last year. We know what kind of athletic freak he is. And he's probably their best overall defender. Severe Wheeler, consistency at the point guard spot, making the right decisions. That's going to be key. And then you have other Damian Collins in the Bahamas. He looked like a totally different dude as a sophomore. Put on like 20 pounds of muscle. He's hitting jump shots, pull up jump shots, hitting three pointers. Of course, we know he can block shots. Lance Ware is a rebounder. Um, and then you bring in the, the new guys. Oh, by the way, CJ Frederick will be healthy, another three point shooter. And you bring in the new guys. Grad transfer from Illinois State, averaged 20 points a game, shot 40-some percent from three in Antonio Reeves. We've seen it in the Bahamas. We've seen it last night. He won the three-point contest at Big Blue Madness. And then Kaysan Wallace, Chris Livingston, plus Adut the Arrow, a three-star kid that committed late in the cycle that's continued to grow. He's like 6'8 now, and they said he could be like 7'1 by the time he's done. And then Ugana Kingsley, a five-star kid that reclassified and hopped on that's helping to practice that may get to see a little action this year after all. This Kentucky team from top to bottom, they've got at least two in every spot. Some spots, three people to rotate. They're all talented, but the most important thing is their experience after last year. This is very unusual for Cal. We've seen a little bit more lately. But this is a dangerous Kentucky team. Take my fandom out. You guys know how I call it like I see it. They're, it's a dangerous Kentucky team. But can they maintain throughout the whole year, take care of the basketball, hit enough three-point shots to open the offense up, and can Cal not screw this up? Let's be honest. Can he not screw this up? Phil, uh, I'm going to bring this to you. And Josh, I kind of just mentioned it there. Uh, we briefly talked about it. Um, the biggest difference I see from last year's team to this year's team is three-point shooting. Uh, if Kentucky wants to make a Final Four run and potentially get their ninth national championship um, this year, they're going to have to hit shots from the three-point line. Uh, last year, Kellen Grady was really the only three-point shooter since C.J. Frederick was injured and missed out on the season. Uh, yeah, you had guys like Davion Mintz who can shoot it as well, but not as highly as um, Kellen Grady did last year. And it showed in the, that tournament game against uh, St. Peter's. They lacked three-point shooting. This year is going to be different because Josh mentioned it. C.J. Frederick's coming back, knocked down, lights out three-point shooter. Uh, Tony Reeves, he won the three-point contest last night. A big blue madness can fly out, stroke it. Chris Livingston even showed me last night. I know the wide-open jump shots. We'll see how he does with a hand in his face. It's a little bit different than being wide open. But he showed me he has a nice little stroke to him. Um, Jacob Topping can hit some shots. Uh, this 
team this year, they're gonna if they want to win uh, title number nine and get to the final four, they're gonna have to hit three point shots, and I think they can do it. Yeah, I think they can. And uh, I mean, the guy that you guys both talked about that I've been the most impressed with so far, and sort of am the most hyped about seeing going forward is Chris Livingston. Um, Peyton, you mentioned that his shooting stroke looked pretty good to you last night at uh, Big Blue Madness. His uh, shooting stroke looked great uh, when they played in the Bahamas, um, a lot better than I expected. The kid's an NBA player. You know, he's 6'6", about 200 pounds, already has pretty elite, like, grown man strength. He looks bigger than 6'6", too. I swear I feel like he's like 6'8", 6'9", now. Yeah, and it wouldn't surprise me. And he's listed at 190, and there's no way he's 190. No, I, hell I no. Hell he no. is at least Dude, 200 pounds. I said 200 to be – He like, looks like 225. No, that's what I – I wanted to say 225, but I looked up his listing before, and they have him listed at 6'6", 190. And I'm just telling you there's no fucking chance. that That's got to be before he got on campus. It, it has to be. Um, but – yeah, and like you said, Josh, I wouldn't be surprised if he's 225. I said 200 to be on the conservative side of things. Um, but yeah, Kid is an NBA player. He's got grown man strength. And I really think by the end of this season, he can sort of be the the pairing with Oscar, you know, the, the elite big man and the elite wing slash guard. I think Livingston can give them that element. And it wouldn't surprise me if by the end of the year we're talking about Livingston as one of the top 10 to 15 players in the country. I think... Antonio Reeves helped change this, but Kaysan Wallace, let's talk about him just for a minute before we move on. The kid's a stud. We've seen him at the Bahamas. We've seen him in his high school career. He came in, Peyton, you'd know this better than anybody, as a defender. But his jumper don't look bad. He's not necessarily wet with it, but he, he can hit if need be. But his defensive identity and the fact he can play at point guard to spell Savir for whatever reason – or maybe an off ball, whatever. Kaysan Wallace, as the year grows and he gets used to the college speed in the games, because Kentucky plays a really nice schedule this year. SEC is going to be good again. Non-conference and games like Michigan State, Gonzaga on the road, Michigan, UCLA, Louisville, Kansas. We're, he's going to grow up. And I think by February, like mid-January, especially by February, when you're in the heat of the SEC, you're going to see this kid start shooting up draft boards. And let me uh, make a correction on myself real quick. Uh, Kentucky's website does have Livingston listed at 220. Actually, okay. ESPN had him at 190. So that's definitely before he got on campus. Yeah. That's before he got on the juice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding, Chris. The, the, kidding. the juice being Oscar's diet. Yeah. And yeah. Yeah, the Oscar. diet. <laughs> we said this all last year. Is there a more likable kid than Oscar Sheboy? It pisses me off, but no. No, there's really not. I mean, Man. he's one of those kids that you see, like, he's literally the definition of, like, what we want to see in college basketball. Just this kid out there having a great time, enjoying college life, like, not playing for the NBA. Like, he's enjoying every second that he's in Lexington. Let me give you an over-under before we move away from Kentucky. Over-under Oscar stat line of being 15-15 this year. Under, just because that's such a monster stat line. And I know he, he, if he didn't put it up last year, he was close. But I think you see something like 18 and 14, 19 and 13, somewhere around there. Yeah, I'm going to go with Phil. I think under. 15 I, 15 is going to be tough to do. I think he's so motivated and he's got more inside pieces around him this year. I think he hits. I'll go push. I think 15 and 15 average this year. And he goes back-to-back NPO-wise. Um Real quick, Josh, before, yeah. before we move on to the next team, I want to bring this up to you. You're talking about 
um, possible issues for this Kentucky team. It's not really a big issue, but it seemed to be a big issue last year, especially in the guard play. Um, as Kentucky wants to make a Final Four, and not only is three-point shooting a big deal for them, but they got to stay healthy. healthy guys yep. like C.J. Frederick, you know, I hope he can have a full year this season because he's a good kid. He's a great two-way player, can knock down shots, and he can defend a little bit as well, especially on the wing, um, on the perimeter. And what well, we've seen it last year, guys like Ty Ty Washington. Kentucky was really good, but when Ty Ty Washington went out for those couple of games and Savio Wheeler was injured as, injured as well, the guard play suffered, suffered tremendously, and they lost a couple of those games against Auburn games that they probably could have won. And games like LSU as well, they should have probably won that game as well. Um, so staying healthy, especially in the guard play, is going to be a they got to stay healthy. I completely agree. Um, yeah, and I think another concern, just real quick, about the guard play, at, severe at times could bog down the offense last year a little bit with just dribbling the air out of the ball, not quite you know, getting into the offense quick enough. And I'm not sure whether that's necessarily on him or if a lot of that's on Cal and them not being super prepared to get into the offense right away. But I think that's definitely something that needs to improve this year. I think it's both. I, I think you place blame on both. I think Cal's offense is antiquated. And I think severe takes too long. I think it's both. Um, but no, I think those are great points. But I think I do think we all agree. Ceiling for Kentucky's national title. Floor, if everything came in undone, is what we've seen last year. Is what we've seen where an early exit, an upset of some epic proportions. It's kind of like the highest of highs, the lowest of lows. And I think that's kind of where this Kentucky team's at. Yeah, I mean, barring some kind of crazy injury to Oscar or something like that, this is, a, without a doubt, a tournament team. Um, I think even worst-case scenario. Um, let's move on. We got. Uh, we don't want to go through every team individually. Let's just start hitting some of the points you guys want to talk about. Let's start with team number 13. We have a massive Indiana Hoosier fan base, a part of the ECB family here. Let's go to the Hoosiers at team number 13 before we bounce around. Fellas, we all agree that IU is going to be really good this year. You listen to pundits. Uh, you already hear pu uh, publications come out that IU is the Big Ten favorite. We have it down between Indiana and Illinois. The, it'll be revealed in the magazine, so we're not going to spoil it just yet who we have number one. But Indiana is going to be good. We all know the issues around Indiana, and that is great defensively, really good defensively, top 25 in the nation good. But the offense struggled. They found their way out of the tournament, and then they worked their way back in with the huge wins over Michigan, Illinois, and then getting beat in the Big Ten semis barely to Iowa. This Indiana team, they've got a National Player of the Year contender and an All-American coming back in Trace Jackson Davis. He's got his running mate in the front court back in Race Thompson. They bring in some fabulous five-star freshmen. Jalen hood Shafino is going to probably be a starter from day one, and they bring in uh, – Malik Renault, five-star center to help out TJD. Plus, they bring in four-star guard CJ Gunn from Lawrence Central or Lawrence North High School. That kid can flat shoot. I think he'll be an X factor for him as the year progresses. There's lots to love about this IU team. Uh, I think this is the highest they've been ranked in many years in the preseason. It's I think do I do or if I could speak, <laughs> I do think it comes down though. Can they score enough points? Can they score specifically shooting the three ball? And if Xavier Johnson, we talked about Severe just a minute ago, if Xavier Johnson makes good decisions, this Indiana team works better. Um, let's hear your guys' thoughts on IU because I think we all agree that they've got a they've got the talent to have a really special year in Bloomington. 
The Hoosiers are back, baby, as Coy Gardner would probably be saying right now if he was on this uh, podcast episode talking about his Indiana Hoosiers squad. But yeah, this Indiana team, they're Final Four caliber good. They got the roster. Mike Woodson did a you know exceptional job last year in his first year as uh, Indiana head coach, beating Purdue and making the tournament. That's two things that they needed to do, and he accomplished it in year one. Um, year two, he's got himself a squad. Uh, you mentioned TJD, National Player of the Year contender. Probably my favorite, or one of, probably the favorite. I, I think he was the Big Ten uh, Player of the Year favorite this year for the preseason, um, for the AP poll and stuff. But Jalen Hood, Shafino, Malik Winnow. I've been hearing so much good things about Jalen Hood Shafino, how he's going to be a focus point on the offense, how he's going to light it up down in the real assembly hall. Um, this kid's fucking phenomenal. I can't wait to watch him put on that Indiana Hoosier jersey. I'm not an IU fan like everybody already knows, but, man, this kid's going to be a flat-out superstar, and I can't wait to watch him play. This Indiana team, like you mentioned, Josh, two big concerns, uh, three-point shooting and, to me, free-throw shooting. It's been the same way for the last five years. That's really put the nail – that really derailed this Indiana team's potential. Uh, they got to hit free-throws, and they got to knock down the three-point line or knock down three-point shots. If they do that, final four good. However, Phil, the one thing we know, like we talked about Houston, that defense is always going to carry. You're going to have nights where you can't put the ball in the bucket, save your life, but you're still going to win a game because how good your defense is. Absolutely. And we expect, you know, Indiana to be solid on defense again. Um, you know, you guys both briefly mentioned him, but CJ Gunn, I think, is somebody who's flying a little bit under the radar. Um, you know, he's a four-star recruit, but, you know, my guy, Simon Rath, who uh, is a pretty locked in, like, NBA draft type guy posted on Twitter the other day that he thinks CJ Gunn, you know, could be the best player on this team when all is said and done, which is definitely a hot take. But if that just, you know, tells you any bit of the talent that CJ Gunn has, and I know you guys have seen him play live um, and, and have hyped him up a little bit too, but I just think he's going to be much better than a lot of mainstream people are expecting. And then obviously we've been seeing the hype as Peyton mentioned about Jalen hood Shafino. Um, you know, he's starting to get some NBA hype now as well. TJD coming back is obviously huge for them. He's one of the best players in the Big Ten last year. Should be even better this year. Hopefully he's made some improvements to his game. Um, you know, needs to be a little bit more consistent shooting from the mid-range. And if he could add even like a perimeter shot to that game, would be unbelievable for just spreading out the floor for them. But yeah, this Indiana team is without a doubt back. It's just about, you know, what level of back are they? Are they a top five to ten team or are they that you know 10 to 25 kind of range where you know when we did this poll i sort of realized that once you get past the 10th 11th 12th ranked team in the country from like 12th to 25th or 12th to 30th everybody's so jumbled up like there's a lot of really good basketball teams this year so it's about it can indiana really differentiate themselves from the middle of the pack to me no, I think it's a fair point. And the one thing that needs to be commended for IU is they finally are playing a brutal non-conference, one of the best non-conferences in college basketball. They get North Carolina at home in the Big Ten ACC Challenge. They're getting the number one team in our poll at home in early December. They also play Kansas at Allen Fieldhouse, who is number seven in our poll. They play Arizona, who is number 18 in our poll in a neutral site game in Las Vegas. They play at Xavier. I think it's late December. I mean, they've got a brutal non-conference. But when you're Indiana, you should play games like that. And they've got a good team. And I'm telling you right now, I think they get at least one or two of those games. I think they can get Carolina at home because how 
big that home court at Assembly Hall can be, especially for big games. I think they match up well with Carolina. And I think they get one of either they go to Xavier and win, they beat Arizona and Vegas, or they go to Allen Fieldhouse and beat Kansas. I think Indiana, with that schedule, I think they get at least one, if not two of those four games. And then we talk about a lot of momentum going into the Big Ten, which we always know is a meat grinder. I was waiting on one of you two to say something. You had no, you know, no points to that. The nah, hell? nah, man. <laughs> I, you lost me when you talk about Indiana going to. Uh, I Allen didn't say that. Hey, hey, hey! I didn't say they were going to. Yeah, yeah. I didn't say I, they were going to. I said they could. Hey, hey, they're not Kentucky, am I right? Well, I mean, we all know that. <laughs> not, not many places are. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but seriously, though, Indiana. 13th, I think that they're going to be phenomenal this year. Phil, what team in the top 25 do you want to hit on? Well, I want to jump back up real quick before we get too much lower and uh, hit Arkansas at number five because I think they're sort of like the ultimate maybe boom or bust team in this top 25. I think, you know, ceiling for them is final four potential national championship. I think the floor for them is honestly a team that doesn't end up in the tournament if things don't come together. But I think with all the talent that they bring in as far as freshmen, you know, you have Nick Smith, Anthony Black, Jordan Walsh, um, tons of transfers. But what I really want to touch on real quick is Nick Smith. I think legitimately by the end of this year, we could be talking about Nick Smith as the best player in college basketball. He's that legitimate yes. talent. He's he's yep. a, he's an elite athlete. He's an elite scorer. He can pass the ball. Um he, he should be able to defend at the college level because of the type of athlete he is and the motor he's shown in the past. Obviously, that's something that we won't know until we see him at that level. But there's not really anything that Nick Smith can't do. And again, by the end of the year, I think you're looking at a kid who could be averaging 19, 20 points a game, three or four assists, looking at being a top five pick and without a doubt, one of the top five players in the country. If not, Nick Smith this year for me is going to be this year's Jabari Smith as far as a fabulous freshman that just carries teams um I, without giving too much away i did my write-up on arkansas today for the magazine i'll just read you the last paragraph of the the piece i did on them the level of expectations in fayetteville have seemingly returned to that of the glory years under nolan richardson it's not often that a team loses 10 of their best players and are still expected to be atop the sec but this is the scenario for arkansas the ceiling is an outside shot of winning the national title while the floor is a sweet 16. Expect the must-bust to keep on rolling along this season. And I think that's fair. Um, they have not seen this type of expectation in Arkansas in 25, 30 years since Nolan was there and they were winning a title in 94. And this team, they lose all them pieces. J.D. Note is gone. Jalen Williams is gone. Chris Likes is gone, et cetera, et cetera. But they replaced it with the number two re ranked recruiting class on 247sports.com. Nick Smith, they have phenomenal talent coming in through the freshmen for or through high school ranks and through transfers. The Mitchell twins, Makai and Mikkel from Rhode Island. Uh, you've got Joseph Pinion. Or sorry, he's another freshman. Uh, Ricky Council the fourth from Wichita State. Trayvon Brazil from Missouri. I think you mentioned Anthony Black a little bit. This team is loaded with talent, but when they're so young, it's going to take a minute, proverbially, to kind of figure things out. That's why they may lose a game or two early on, but figure it out in SEC play and then really hit their stride. 
They might struggle early, like you mentioned, but when it comes down to March, the must is going to keep on rolling. He's going to get this team prepared. Why? It's because Phil I mentioned it. Nick Smith is – Phil and Josh kind of mentioned it. Nick Smith is a fucking superstar. To me, he's probably uh, – Derek Lively's really fucking good. Derek Whitehead's great. Cam Whitmore, there's so many talented freshmen coming into the season. Gigi Jackson from South Carolina is very talented. But to me, Nick Smith is the best freshman in the nation coming into this year. And he's going to prove it like Jabari Smith did last year. Nick Smith is a stud. Can't wait to watch him play. Well, and you just mentioned him, Peyton. And so as far as I'm concerned, we jump right in. Is Villanova at 17 and Cam there you Whitmore. Go, yeah. I think Cam Whitmore is in that same breath as Nick Smith. It's just this like totally elite talent. And just there's even of the guys who are elite talent, I don't think there are that many that are prepared to step in from day one and lead a program. And I think that Cam Whitmore is another one of those guys, same as Nick Smith. Um, if you go back into that, you know, Kevin Durant, Carmelo Anthony, Michael Beasley kind of mold where they're just going to come in and be the guy from day one, and it doesn't matter. And I think Villanova brings back, you know, a little bit from last year's team. They're still going to be undersized. I believe they bring Justin Moore back. Justin Moore at 14.8, Caleb Daniels, uh, Eric Dixon, Brandon Slater, really the the four guys who made major contributions last year. Exactly. Um and I, I think they're still a little thin. You know, last year's team only went about six or seven deep, and I think you're going to see that same sort of thing for Villanova. But I think Whitmore is just the kind of guy who, come March, could just take games over and could single-handedly carry them to a Final Four. Well, Peyton, what scares me a little bit about Villanova, and this is no disrespect, and I honestly don't mean it, but I think it's fair, the same kind of concerns I have about Duke, is you're replacing a Hall of Fame coach who just kind of, by all accounts, just kind of upped and left. Um, Jay Wright's no longer there. Kyle Neptune, this is his first year at a big university. It, obviously, not every coach is the same. Um, will the Villanova style continue? Because if it continues the Villanova way in which we've come to know it, then they're going to be fine, especially building around a guy like Cam Whitmore. But if anything's slightly off and it doesn't pan out, this could go south in a hurry. And that's the one thing that concerns me early on about Villanova. Yeah, everything you just said, I think both of you guys just said, I had them said agree. Um, we don't know how this Villanova's gonna, this Villanova team is going to play. The Villanova of old or the Villanova that I've known the past five to ten years is they stretch it out, hit shots, shoot a lot, three points, great guard play. Um, but Phil mentioned it. Nick Smith's definitely one of those guys that you can build a program around. Kate Winmore is definitely um, the second guy on that list for me. And they might be the only two that can really step into any program on this damn list. Um, doesn't matter if it's a mid-major or a blue blood and really just be the fucking best player on the court at all costs. So I agree. Peyton, uh, I'll let you pick what team you want to go to. Let's go to the reigning defending national champions of rank number seventh. Listen, I got to do it. They're the champs. <laughs> They're the champs of the champs no more. Uh, the Kansas Jayhawks. Uh, Bill Stuff last year won. Um, helped led Kansas to a Big 12 regular season title, helped led Kansas to a Big 12 tournament title, helped lead Kansas to overtake Kentucky in all-time wins, not to mention helped lead Kansas win their fourth, Bill Self's second national championship last year by beating North Carolina in the championship game. Uh, on paper, like I mentioned with Houston, if you look on paper on this Kansas squad, they lose a lot of production. Ochea Baji, 
uh, Christian Brown, David McCormack, Remy Martin, Mitch Lightfoot, who played about eight years at Kansas, it seemed like. Um, they're all gone. They all left the program, either graduated, went to the draft, or wherever Remy Martin's at right now. I'm not even sure. It might be in the G League. Who knows? Um, but they bring back Dewan Harris Jr., who's a redshirt junior. They bring back another junior, Jalen Wilson. Uh, Jalen Wilson last year, 11.1 points per game, 7.4 rebounds per game. Um, Dewan Harris this year is going to step up defensively. He might be one of the best defensive guards in the country this year. Um, he really helped uh, lock up Caleb Love in that tournament or that national championship game last year, especially in the early in the second half. Um, and Jalen Wilson, he's going to have to repl- help replace what Chaya Baji did last year. So he's going to have to step up and really take an increased role. Uh, incomers coming in, they bring back Texas or bring in Texas Tech uh, transfer Kevin McCuller. Redshirt senior, 10 a game, 4.6 rebounds per game. Five-star forward, Grady Dick. Four-star forward, MJ Rice. Four-star center, Ernest UD Jr. And four-star forward, Zuby Ejafor. I think that's how you say his last name. Close I, enough. It, you know what? I'll take it. Participation trophy. I'll take it. Close <laughs> enough. <laughs> um, yeah, this is Kansas squad. They lose a lot, but I really like – uh, the additions they got coming in. Grady Dick's going to start. Bill Self last night, late night at the Fog. We pretty much already know that Dewan Harris, Jalen Wilson, Kevin McCuller, and Grady Dick's going to be the four starters. It really depends on who starts at that fifth spot. I think it's going to be Zach Clemens. Um, who knows? We'll see. But this Kansas squad, even though they lose a lot, I really like what they got coming back. And the, they bring in a top three recruiting class along with Kevin McCuller coming from Texas Tech. I think this Kansas squad has a chance to do what – no team has done since Florida back in 06, 07. That's when back-to-back national titles. Phil, I think I think he's right in a lot of ways. Um, obviously, it's hard to lose all types of production like that. But when you're Kansas, you can replace it a little easier than most places. Um, Kevin McCullers is the guy that stands out to me. We've seen what he was able to do under uh, or at Texas Tech, should I say. Defensive kind of guy will really fit in, I think, culture-wise at Kansas. Uh, let's see what Grady Dick does. That seems to be the big name uh, as far as freshman comes in. You know, multi-talented type of dude, not the same type of player by any means as, um, help me, I just went blank on your big man down low. Uh, uh, McCormack? David McCormack, thank you. It, definitely not the same type of player, but there's going to be a lot of talent in this Kansas team. I think, Phil, the question is, is, how long does it take for them to figure out how good they're going to be? Well, honestly, Josh, you sort of took the words right out of my mouth because McCuller is the real, you know, big addition for me. He's just such a tough guard. Uh, you mentioned the defensive prowess and just how he's going to fit in and, and Lawrence with Bill Self's system. But the big question for me is kind of Grady Dick and how ready he is to step in and be, you know, that elite, not elite scorer, but they, they need somebody who's going to step into that Abaji role and be the scorer for this team. And I think the question is, who's going to do it? Is it going to be Dick? Is Jalen Wilson going to take that step forward? Um, And that's just the concern I have for them, basically. But Kansas, like Peyton mentioned, really solid. I think they definitely could repeat. Um, It would be arguably more impressive than any repeat ever because of the amount of talent and, you know, the core of their team that they're replacing. You talk about the last team to repeat that Florida team returned i believe all five starters from the yeah they brought everybody back yeah um and and most teams that have repeated have brought back at least three or four so if they're able to turn over three starters and and still do it that's 
unbelievable. I want to see Jalen Wilson show out. He has to, if they're going to make final four again, he has to show out because we've seen it far too often. The kid's got all sorts of talent. We ha- he's had games where he goes off, but then he'll go two or three games where you look at the box score and he's like six points, five points, maybe a 12 point game in there, but he, it took him 12 shots to get it. I want to see him turn up and play like we've seen him at his best play. I know you can't do it every night, but I want to see him turn up. He's a junior now. Let's see him turn up and play like the Jalen Wilson we know how. Because if he does, Kansas can be really good. If he doesn't, still think Kansas will be pretty good, but they won't be able to hit their peak without Jalen Wilson stepping up. Is that fair? Is that fair to say, Peyton? Yeah, that's 100% fair. The dude also has to hit fucking layups. Last year, he in the championship game against North Carolina, he missed about five point-blank layups. Almost made me throw a, t- uh, throw a fucking remote on my damn TV. <laughs> my God, he pissed me off last year missing those damn layups. The easiest thing in the world, that and Fleet does, and he about fucked it up for us. But, yeah, if we, if we want to repeat this year or even get to the Final Four, or even really just win the Big 12 Conference again, um, he's going to have to have a stud season this year. Phil, we couldn't get out of here unless we talk about team number 20 in the preseason poll. You're a Illini. Um, there's a lot of optimism going around. We talked about them in Indiana being the class of the Big Ten in preseason. Lots of optimism. You have some key transfers coming in, uh, big-time freshman Sky Clark coming in. There's a lot to like about this Illinois team. Let's hear about it. Yeah, you know, you mentioned some of the transfers we got coming in. Uh, Matthew Mayer from Baylor. Um, Terrence Shannon Jr. from Texas Tech. So I, I really think there's a solid veteran core, even though maybe they haven't been playing at Illinois. Um, and then, you know, the freshmen we bring in, Sincere Harris, Jaden Epps. You mentioned Sky Clark. Um, guys that return, you got Coleman Hawkins coming back, who I think could take a big step forward and be, you know, a very, very solid front court player I for heard, them. Hey, real quick, I heard the field of 68 guys the other day previewing the Big Ten, and they were hearing from people inside Illinois' program that they're raving over Coleman Hawkins, said that he could be one of the best players in the nation by year's end. And I, I love to hear that. And a lot of what you've seen – like why he couldn't get on the court was just so much inexperience. I mean, if you watched them last year, there were so many times when he played out of control. He didn't seem to quite know where he needed to be on the defensive end. He's a guy who's as athletic as anybody, has all the skill in the world, but he really just needs to sort of get his feet under him. And the only way he's going to do that is with playing time. And obviously this offseason sort of taking a, a bigger role in the team has helped with that development. Um, they got Dane Donja, who transferred from Baylor, redshirted last year. Um, you know, 6'9", 270 pounds. Uh, I think he could potentially, you know, give them some more depth in the front court. But the guy that I'm really looking forward to seeing this year is RJ Melendez. Um, he's shown flashes in the time he's been given the past couple of years. But this year is really going to be the year for him where he should be the go-to guy for this team. And and I think he's capable of scoring, you know, 15 to 17 a game, somewhere in that range. He's a good shooter. Um, they also got Luke Goody, who should come off the bench and just be a knockdown shooter for them. Doesn't Wait, you're saying he could come off the bench and be maybe Goody? Yeah, <laughs> that exactly. was bad. That was bad. Well, <laughs> come on, uh. He doesn't bring a whole lot other than the shooting for them. Um, he, he's a little bit of a weak point on defense. Doesn't you know facilitate anything on offense really. He's a flat out shooter, but I think he can fit in with the pieces they have. 
it's sort of the same thing we talked about with Arkansas, though. How long does it take this team to come together? Well, I love the fact you watch Matthew Mayer play. I loved watching that dude play because he's a knockdown shooter. He's just an all-around hustle. The thing I think about this Illinois team, yes, you lose Kofi Coburn. You lose that physical dominant presence inside. But I think they're going to be a better team because of it, because he wasn't the great. You couldn't necessarily just throw the ball inside and let him score. I think this is a balanced Illinois team that wants to push the action. I'm hearing in practices right now from people that have been watching them that they are running up and down the floor, like two passes ahead, knocking a three down or hitting a dunk and layup. Like they're wanting to push the action, go, 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 go. And now you've got outside shooters. You've got, you talk about Melendez and Goody. You talk about uh, Matthew Mayer picking a pop and at like the four roll. You talk about Terrence Shannon, who's capable of knocking them down and a defender. This Illinois team could be fast and fun and exciting and really, really hard to play against for opposing teams. And Coleman Hawkins, one thing that you didn't mention that stands out to me is he busts his ass to go get offensive rebounds, keep possessions alive, dive on the ball, take the charge. I think this is going to be a gritty, fast, entertaining Illinois team. However, I do have to – we don't normally, I guess you say disrespect or shit on many people or publications, but I don't know what Lindy's, the the famous magazine, smoking. And to quote Rob Douster from the Field of 68 – when somebody told him that uh, Lindy's had Illinois 7th, I think, I don't remember if it was 7th in the nation or 7th in Big Ten, but regardless, both kind of crazy. He said, you got to be out of your fucking mind if you have Illinois 7th. Yeah. I, I, I like this Illinois team. either case, if they're 7th in the country or 7th in the Big Ten, yeah, I think both uh, of those things are fucking nuts. Yeah, but the positive to Illinois Man, I think they're going to be a lot of fun. I think they're going to bring this tempo and this ability and with their defensive identity with all these players, I think they're going to show something the Big Ten hasn't seen that you only see when they play in tournament games, and that's go, go, go. Teams in the Big Ten want to play slugfest in the 60s most of the time. I think this Illinois team could push the pace and make them uncomfortable, and if they could do that and stay healthy – because I have you heard anything on the the recovery of Sky Clark? I think he should be good to go by season opener, right? Yeah, everything yeah. I've heard. I mean, I haven't heard anything recently, but everything I'd heard through the off season was that uh, everything was looking good. He was working out with the team, um, and that he should be good to go for the beginning of the year. But I think, and I'll let you finish on it since it's your team. But uh, I think they could be explosive, fast, fun, free, and I think they could give a lot of big team or Big Ten teams problems because of the pace of play they want to play at. Yeah, you know, you you mentioned it perfectly. I think they're going to be the kind of team in the Big Ten that you don't see very often, um, which probably gives them a little bit of an advantage because they're not playing that same slow, plodding, defensive style of basketball that everybody else in the Big Ten seems to play. Um, a guy I forgot to mention that's coming in that I think, you know, isn't going to play a huge, huge role, but I think in the minutes that he does play is going to be pretty successful for them is Ty Rogers. You know, 6'6", 200 pounds, he's a wing, looked really good for the United States 18 and under team this summer. Um, you know, he looked like he belonged out there with all of the elite talent that was there, which I, you know, I think is something not to be overlooked. He definitely didn't look out of place. Um, yeah, this team, I think, is the Big Ten champion. I'm going to straight up say that. I, I think that them and Indiana are the two far and away best teams in the Big Ten, and I think Illinois has the edge when it comes to talent. 
And it's just about, you know, again, whether that talent's able to come together in time. I think by Big Ten season, it will. They may struggle a little bit in the non-conference. But, yeah, I think by Big Ten season, they're going to be hitting on all cylinders. And uh, I don't want to say they run through the Big Ten, but I, I imagine them being very successful. In well, one last one last thing on Illinois, too, didn't mention is they're going to be big. You Again, I witness accounts at practices just marvel over how big and long they are, how much ground they take up, and the interchangeability. Because you could play a lineup with, um, uh, I almost said Shade and Sharp, with uh, what a Terrence Shannon, I'm sorry, was Terrence Shannon and Matthew Mayer, the two transfers, and they could run a ball screen action and switch, and you not really lose a whole lot. And I think yeah. that's big for them. Absolutely. I mean, I think, honestly, just looking at the roster – the best lineup you're going to see from them this year is probably some combination of Sky Clark, RJ Melendez, Terrence Shannon, Matthew Mayer, and Coleman Hawkins. I think that's the yep. go-to, hope, probably starting five. Peyton, last thoughts in Illinois before we move on? As far as Phil's remarks about um, Illinois winning the Big Ten, um, Big Ten this year, um, I think they're the only team inside the Big Ten that can really rival Indiana for the top of the Big Ten conference. No offense to like teams like Michigan, and you mentioned Lindy Sports talking about Michigan. I don't know why the hell they had Michigan like top ten or whatever. Um, they're definitely smoking something. I think they're smoking dick, and I'm not talking about Green's <laughs> dick either. <laughs> But, Phil, I just got a question for you because I really like Matthew Mayer. I like Tanner Shannon Jr., but Matthew Mayer, that dude can stroke. We all know that. And he can defend a little bit as well. Very underrated on his defensive side of the ball. But if Illinois wants to make a run in the tournament, who do you think Illinois' breakout star is this year or the most important piece? Um, RJ Melendez. I, I think he's the guy who kind of bridges the gap between what comes back, what comes in, and, and should be able to be a pretty, you know, He's, he's kind of like a chameleon. He should be able to do whatever the offense needs him to do based on who's out there. I think he can get other guys involved if he's playing in a lineup with, say, like Sky Clark, um, you know, who to me is more of the scoring type guard. I think Melendez can still play off him, but I think Melendez can also be the shooting type scorer that they need. Um, you know, you mentioned Mayer. I think Matthew Mayer is going to really step in for them into a very similar role into what Bla Brady Manick did for North Carolina last year but be a better defender. And I know that's like such the cliche thing to do is like the two white guys, you know, compared <laughs> to each other, but they really are very similar players. How about that, Josh? The chameleon, RJ Melendez. Hey, how about that? For, how about that for my EVP of content? <laughs> I know. <laughs> I, I think, I think he needs to go to RJ and uh, try to get him to trade market. Yeah, hey, man. man. We'll start making t-shirts. Hey, 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 he can have his face on like, all the different colors, right? Because chameleons Yo, blend in. The first EC, ECB NIL. There RJ. we go. There we I'm going to work on it, man. I'm going to get it. RJ, 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 hit us up, pal. <laughs> <laughs> hey, real quick before we get out of here, um, looking at the top 25, let's take out like the top five, right? Because we think that top five, really top four, and we, know, we mentioned Arkansas has got potential, Kansas. But the top four is really probably the favorites to win the title right now. Look at everybody else. What team from, like, let's say five through 25, if I was to ask you, the most dangerous team to make a deep run to a Final Four or to a national title out of the five to 25 cat, well, we'll say six to 25 because we already talked to Arkansas. Six to 25. 
who is the most dangerous that maybe not a lot of people are even talking about a little bit? Because I know my answer. I know my answer. Well, I'll let y'all two go first then because I need a second to uh, to think Peyton, about Let's this. see if we've got the same one because I'm going Creighton at number six. We definitely do not have the same okay. one. I like Creighton, but go ahead and tell you tell us why. Guys, Creighton, 23 wins last year, made the tournament, gave Kansas all they wanted in the second round, and they did it without Ryan Nimhard. They only lose, I mean, Ryan Hawkins yeah, and Alex O'Connell, nice pieces, about 25 points a game between them gone. But they bring back Ryan Kelkbrenner, seven-foot center, average 13.1. Nimhard's back and healthy. Arthur Kaluma, kind of a two-way defender type dude. Trey Alexander, average 7.4 from guard. Sharif Mitchell didn't, didn't do a whole lot production-wise, but a nice piece for him. Then they bring in a couple nice guys, recruits, some three stars, but they get the big time transfer in Baylor Shireman from South Dakota State. The, everybody who watched him in the regular season and in the tournament, the dude is open as soon as he crossed half court. He is money. Now, does he want to be ball dominant? That's kind of the rumor why he didn't go to a place like Kentucky or Indiana or whoever, or Louisville or whoever. But if Creighton can make it work with the pieces they have coming back and a big dominant guy like Keltbrenner inside to clean up stuff and throw the ball inside to. This team could be explosive offense. They could rival, in my opinion, Gonzaga in points per game. That's how explosive I think they can be on offense. They play a fun system. You know, Coach McDermott likes to get up and go. He's kind of always been that that style of coach. I think this Creighton team, they're, in my opinion, the Big East favorites over Villanova and the likes of the other teams. I think if they can figure it out, integrate Shireman to use him to the best of his abilities. I think this team could see just lights out video game type numbers on offense. And I think because of that, putting the ball in the bucket is so important. I think that they're going to be a handful for a lot of teams in college basketball this year. I like it. I like this Creighton team as well, but my team's easy and it's simple and it pisses me off. And that's the Virginia Cavaliers at 16. Mm -hmm. Virginia loses Cody Statman, he averaged 3.3 points per game. You really don't lose much. They bring back everybody else. They bring back senior Jaden Gardner, 15 points or 15.3 points per game, six and a half rebounds per game. Senior Kihei Clark's back, 10 points per game, two or three rebounds per game, and 4.4 assists per game. Senior Armand Franklin's back, 11 points per game, three rebounds per game, and roughly a 1.5 assists per game. Junior Reese Beekman. 8.2 points per game, four rebounds per game, five assists per game, roughly. And redshirt junior Caden Shedrick, roughly seven points per game with five rebounds per game. That's just the guys they got coming back. The guys that got coming in, they're bringing a top 15 recruiting class. Four-star forward Isaac Trout. Four-star combo guard Isaac McNeely. Four-star forward Leon Bond. Uh, and four-star forward Ryan Dunn. I'm just getting started, boys and girls. They bring in Ohio transfer forward Ben Vonderplas, a grad transfer, by the way, 14.3 points per game, 6.8 rebounds per game, and roughly three assists per game, who also had seven 20-point scoring games last season for the Bobcats. This Virginia team is scary as fuck. North Carolina is going to win the conference. Virginia is my number two behind them. Because this Virginia team brings back everybody. Jaden Gardner is a fucking star in the making. He's going to have such a big year. He might average double-double this year. Hey, um, let me ask you real quick. Um, 
we know what Coach Bennett's identity is. When they win, it's because they have like the number one defense. Last year, they were 59th. Super unusual for a Tony Bennett-led Virginia team. Do you see them getting back to their defensive roots and putting clamps on people? Well, you talked about you talked about your um, Arkansas, and you're like right up on that. I'll just do like my first little half of you talking about defense uh, for Virginia. Virginia in the last eleven years has been ranked top five in defense eight times. Last year, like you mentioned, Virginia was ranked 59th in that same category, which was the worst ranking they've had since 2010. Excuse me, they were ranked 71st that year, and that's when Tony Bennett took over the program. And they were ranked 59th, and they still had a top. 60 defense. That says a lot about what Tony Bennett does defensively for his Virginia team. And you're talking about defensively, they got one of the best defensive backcourts in Reese Beekman and Kia Clark coming back this year. Um, offensively, they're going to be great. Jaden Gardner is going to be a star, like I mentioned. Armin Franklin's going to shoot a lot better than what he did last year. Um, he's going to be the Armin Franklin that we've seen at Indiana a couple years ago. I mean, this Virginia team, they got everything. They got defense, offense, uh, rebounding. If I see an issue, it might be front court, but even then. Jane um, Gloss will help with that because not only – we've seen him at, when he played Kentucky last year and Ohio gave Kentucky a game. Vanderplas, if I remember right, he's a lefty. He – you can put him at the high post and he passes well. You put him at the low block, if you don't double team him, he'll make a move. If you do double team him, again, he passes and finds the open guy. He, he is not somebody that's like a black hole where you throw him the ball and it disappears. He will – that ball will be hot out of his hand. If you're open, he will find you. And if you don't, he'll make you pay on the block. And talking about, like, lack of front, of front court might give him an issue. Look at the 2009 Virginia team. Their front court outside of uh, Diakite wasn't the greatest either. They was mostly uh, backed up by the guard play and DeAndre Hunter. That's a fair point, Phil. Virginia usually is not very deep. They go maybe seven guys, eight at the most, when they're really good. Yeah, you know, and I can't argue with any of the points Peyton made. I think Virginia's a really good team, and uh, the team that I'm going with is uh, also in the ACC, albeit ranked a little bit higher in our uh, ECB rankings. I'm going with the uh, number eight team in the country, Duke Blue Devils. Yep. Um, obviously, they, I was wanting to get to them. They lose a ton. Um, the The main thing, really only thing they bring back is Jeremy Roach, who will be the starting point guard. But the freshman class they have coming in is probably elite as any freshman class ever. Um, you have five-star Derek Whitehead, five-star Derek Lively, five-star Tyrese Proctor, five-star Kyle Filipowski, um, five-star, depending on where you look, four-star some places, Mark Mitchell. Um, then you also have four-star Jaden Shute um, and four-star Christian Reeves coming in. So, I mean, that's eight or nine, just super solid recruits. Then you have Ryan Young, who transferred in from Northwestern, averaged nine and four a game last year. Um, Jacob Grandison transfers in from Illinois, gives them you know some veteran presence at the wing position. Kale Catchings also transfers in from Harvard. Um, you know, moderate contribution there, nine points a game as well. But I think Duke, you know, if everything comes together for them, which is sort of what we're talking about, you know, these teams that have this super high ceiling, if all these freshmen live up to their potential, if Tyrese Proctor is ready to play at this level after reclassifying, I think they're probably arguably the most talented team in the country. 
No, I think that's fair. Um, I love what I see out of Derek Lively. Uh, he was number one player in high school for a long time. I don't know. Did he end up number one? I don't think yeah. he did. did. Did he end up number yeah, one? I think okay. so. I couldn't recall. Super talented. Um, I don't want to compare games. That's not really fair, but he's he's not the big bulky guy inside, but he's the more athletic center that you can throw it to, and keep, he can probably make plays from 15 feet, feet and in. Excuse me. Um <laughs> To me, honestly, God, I think the big question is not necessarily who's on the floor. I think it's who's on the sidelines. Uh, we all know John Shire has proven to be a great recruiter. We know he's been talked about as a tremendous assistant coach, but it's different when the pin's in your hand now. And can he avoid making enough mistakes in his first year at this to put his team in position to win? Because if you don't think the head coach matters, if you're one of these people like, oh, they roll the balls out, then you have no fucking idea what you're talking about. Because what happens in a late game situation and he's got a bunch of young dudes and he's got to on the fly know what position to put them in, what defense to call, what, who to get the ball, what it's different when you're, trust me, I spent many years as an assistant coach, albeit on a high school level, but still. And then once you get the pin yourself and you, you're the head coach, now you don't have anybody to listen to. You make the decisions on your own, and you got to live with those decisions. If Shire is any good at all, I think Duke's right there with everybody else at the top. If he makes too many mistakes, whether it be rotations, calls, or whatever, I think Duke can suffer for a while before they figure it out. Yeah, I think the only counterpoint I have to that is that, you know, maybe – it's a benefit to them. And this again, sounds crazy, you know, hot take here, but coach K was 75, 80 years old, you know, maybe getting somebody who has a more modern take on the game of basketball and a more, you know, refreshed look is, is actually a good thing for them. Not taking anything away from coach K's career. Obviously he's, you know, if not the greatest of all time, then one of the greatest of all time. But I do think that there may be some aspect of having a guy like Shire who can relate to the players a little bit more, who, is more in tune with the modern game could be a benefit for them. Here's my counterpoint to your counterpoint to Josh's. Um, as far as his Duke team goes and John Shire being an inexperienced coach in his first year at Duke and Josh, I mentioned it following the legend, like we mentioned with uh, Jay Wright. Um, it's very difficult to do. Not many people has done it and had successful years. You look at Hubert Davis last season, they did get to the national championship game. Um, and Hubert Davis's first year replacing uh, a great uh, Hall of Famer and Ward Williams. But look at the majority of their season. They almost didn't make the tournament last year. And that's with, and they had an experienced team. They really didn't have any five star, even really a four star freshman coming in. Only really guy they had coming in last year was Brady Manick. And that's really it. They really relied on their experience of RJ Davis, Leaky Black. Um, on Mondo Baquette, Caleb Love, all those guys that we liked so much in them coming back, and they still struggled majority of the season. Yeah, they turned it on later, but they still only finished like third or fourth in the ACC and had multiple, uh, had like a double-digit losses last year. And if it wasn't for like really that Duke game at the end of the regular season, they might not even been in the tournaments last year. And uh, replacing Coach K, you got an inexperienced team with an inexperienced coach. I personally don't see Duke being top 10 good, especially early on. They might turn it on later in the ACC conference, but I'm not high on uh, Duke's guard play. 
uh, Jeremy Roach last year. He had a couple good games, the majority of it. He was playing behind uh, Trevor Keels, and even though Trevor Keels didn't really play that well outside of the Kentucky game, um, he still wasn't their number one option when it comes to guard-wise. Uh, matter of fact, I don't think he was even the two option because uh, A.J. Griffin was balling out last season. Um, so Jeremy Roach is going to have to step up huge. Jacob Grandison is going to have to be in a bigger role than he ever was at Illinois. Um, I don't see personally what you see in this Duke, but we'll see. Can we also real quick shit on Duke's non-conference schedule? I mean, this is awful. The Jacksonville, USC Upstate, they do have the Kansas game, Champions Classic and in Indy, Delaware, Bellarmine, or at Oregon State in the Phil Knight 90 or 85, Ohio State in the Big Ten ACC, Iowa, and then that's it, really. Maryland and Eastern. This is not a good non-conference schedule. Like, yeah, I, yeah, this non-conference schedule is not good at all. Um, which could help. Good. Which could help though. A young yeah. team, new head coach, could be a couple gimme wins. Um, you would think. Yeah, they're definitely but, trying man, to protect themselves in the early on from from things getting really sideways. Because I agree, I agree with Peyton that I think there's the element of this that with an inexperienced head coach, inexperienced team, this could go sideways. I mean, it, if you are asking me if I'd be shocked if this Duke team is, you know, 17 and 15 at the end of the year, no, I wouldn't be shocked. But in that same breath, with the amount of talent they have, I also wouldn't be shocked if they're 29 and four and, you know, looking at the number one or two seed. As far as, as, far as talent – yeah, as far as talent-wise, yes, I think Duke ranks top three when it comes to just a talented roster. I think them, Kentucky, and Arkansas, and then Gonzaga probably fourth. Uh, who has the better or who has the most talent coming in or really just most talented roster? I think they're up there definitely. Um, and, then Josh, I thought when you were talking about can we shit on uh, Duke, I thought you were going to talk about can we shit on the Duke fan that wore a Duke sweatshirt <laughs> or hoodie at Big Blue Madness last get, night. How would he even get in the building is beyond me. He must have had a jacket on and then tuck it off. He probably did. I'd barely seen him. I was trying to look for DJ Wagner and uh, Aaron Bradshaw. I was trying to find where they were. And I looked to my left when they was interviewing uh, Savio Wheeler. And I was like, this motherfucker has a Duke sweatshirt on. Like, what the hell are you doing, bud? Hey, Phil, I do. <laughs> you're more tied into Duke than we are. So I want to pose this on Duke and last thing on them. If, let's say Shire's not as good as people think he is or can be. And they they keep recruiting well, but he just can't get it done. And they go three or four seasons where they are, you know, 12, 13 losses, maybe 10 losses, not really making it past second round. How far back do you think it sets the program? Because it happens. Look at Kentucky and Indiana and in Louisville and all the big programs over the course of time has dealt with this at some point where they, you know, a bad hire or something goes wrong and it sets the program back four, five, six seasons, or in Indiana's case, like almost 10 years, it felt like. Um, and some never recovered. Georgetown never recovered. Uh, some of these places don't. How far back, if Shire is not as good as everybody thinks and we think he can be or will be, how far back do you think this sets Duke? I think it depends on how long they let it go. Because I'll be honest, I think if he has a bad first year, they're not, they're not going to fire him after one bad year but the seat will immediately be hot. I think two mediocre years, and it wouldn't shock me if they fired him, I think they would probably still give him that third year, but things would have to turn around significantly the third year. And I think if they had three mediocre years 
back to back to back like that. I I don't know if you're looking at them being set back to the point that Georgetown is, but I mean, honestly, the example of like Louisville right now could be a a pretty fair example where you have that, you know, three, four year down period where you're looking for the right guy. Um, And that's definitely possible. I think that Shire will ultimately be successful because I think he's going to be able to recruit such a high level of talent that even if he's not the elite X's and O's guy, he he's going to be in a situation sort of like John Calipari. And I don't, you know, make that comparison lightly, but just in the fact that, you know, you you're immediately at an advantage if you're eliting or if you're bringing in the recruit guy, ah, gosh, if I could speak, if you're bringing in the elite guys, so you can probably cover up some of, some of your shortcomings as an X's and O's coach. But yeah, I think after two seasons, even at just 12 or 13 losses, the seat would be very, very hot. And he would have to come out and have a, a very successful, like final four type year, his third year to, to keep that job. Well, I think Josh, before you go, sorry to interrupt you, Phil, this motherfucker must be reading my mind because he mentioned Louisville. Look at Louisville. I don't even know if it even takes two years. Chris Mack got fired after a year and a half of having – well, he was going to have two bad seasons where he missed the tournament. They fired him last year. First year, a um, couple years ago, we missed the tournament, and then we was on, the, on our way to missing the tournament again early in the season, and they fired him midway through the season. So I don't know if it even takes two years because Duke's a better program than Louisville is. Yeah, current state. Um, and yeah. I think I think you're both got fair answers. I just wanted to pose the question. No, and I definitely like Duke is such a high profile job that again it wouldn't shock me to if if they come out and say like I said go 17 and 15 this year and then, you know, go 16 and 14 next year or something like that or even shit 18 and 12. I wouldn't be shocked if they would fire him, but I think the difference between the Chris Mack situation is that Shire is beloved as a former player, as a guy who won a national title there, as the hand-picked successor to Coach K. So I, I do think there's an element where they want it to work at all costs. But, but I, I think they'll be willing to cut ties early enough that it doesn't completely kill the program. I don't today. know. That's risky. That's what's happening in Georgetown right now. Patrick Ewing is their best player of all time. And they haven't had the – this year they finally kind of told him like he needed to make some changes in his staff and all that. But they should have probably – if it wasn't Patrick Ewing, they should have fired him a year or two ago. And they can't bring themselves to it because he is their most famous alum. Well, Shire's and, not that to Duke, but being so beloved, it's harder to get rid of them that way. Well, and you bring up an interesting point with Georgetown because I would say that they're probably the cautionary tale in like you know hanging on to the past – too long because you know they probably hung on to john thompson jr a little bit too long again for the same reason that they did not want to move on from you know the most legendary figure in their history son um and you know when you make those hires you do back yourself into a corner in a way yeah i think that's a fair conversation somewhere after really a storyline wise keep an eye on moving forward hey before we get out of here we do have others receiving votes like you'd find in the ap poll or any other poll we're not gonna go through them all um, the one that just missed the cut, and I think you said it was by a vote, was Dayton. Anthony Grant's got himself a ball club down there. Yeah, Dayton missed by just one point. And again, that was sort of one of the interesting things when you've seen this poll is that Dayton only came in on a few of the polls that we had. I think they only came in ranked on three out of the uh, 11 polls, but the people that did rank them felt strongly enough about them having them, you know, 15th. 18th somewhere in that range that it worked them close to getting in 
Um, Wyoming was also just on the outside looking in with pretty much the same story, you know, didn't gather a ton of actual votes, but the placement that they did have on the ballots that they made was a little bit higher. And so, you know, it almost sprung them in, wasn't quite enough, but you know, that's the interesting part of doing this poll. Yeah. And that's the fun thing. And I think Dayton, uh, Wyoming was Hunter Maldonado. Uh, you look at that St. Louis team. I think Travis Ford's got himself a ball club that it will compete yes, inside the A-10 this year. Um, Delm and Dayton, both in the same conference. So the A-10 looks like it could get two or three teams in, in the tournament this year. So that'll be fun. Uh, a non-power six, you know, conference having multiple representatives. I remember back in the day, the A-10 used to be good anyways. So it'd be fun to have them back. You look at Michigan State, just barely squeaking in or receiving votes. Let's end on Michigan State real quick. Izzo, you talk about a guy holding on too long. I mean, I know he just made the Final Four a couple years ago, but he continually, it seems like, has dudes. It's like he gets five-star kids in, and if they're NBA ready, they leave after a year. If not, they kind of transfer, and then he's – stuck with like the mid-level four-star kids and three-star kids and then kind of does the same process over and over again. And I feel like Michigan State for the last couple years has just been stuck. They haven't really gotten better. They haven't really gotten worse. They're just kind of stuck. Middle of the pack, upper middle of the pack, the Big Ten, make the tournament, maybe get a win or two. I don't feel like this Michigan State program as a whole is really moving forward anymore. No, I mean, I think the like, exact parallel almost to them is Syracuse from the program to, to the coaching. And you mentioned, you know, Izzo a couple years ago made the Final Four. Same sort of thing with Bayheim. You know, every couple of years they manage to, you know, sneak, sneak in and make a Final Four or whatever. But if you really look at the last 10 years of Michigan State basketball, are they an elite program? I don't. I would say that they're not. I mean, they've made a couple of Final Fours, but it's generally been in years where they were a five or lower seed. Again, sort of that same Syracuse story. Sneak in, go under the radar, catch some people by surprise. Um, And and I think – I don't want to call for Izzo to retire. Obviously, they're never going to fire him, but it's coming to that point where you have to – you know, we talked about how long do you let the program go – you know, towards mediocrity. And I think Michigan State's getting to the point where they have to make that decision of like, if we're still going to be one of the elite programs, we have to move on. And we love the fact that Izzo is who he is. You know, he's a tremendous head coach. He's a legendary, one of the best the game's ever seen. And he sticks to his mostly old school values. But I think, how should I put this? I Basically, I'll just put it bluntly. I don't think he's accepting the transfer portal. I know he's bringing some guys in, like Joey Hauser he brought in and a few years ago, but he's not hitting it and taking full advantage of it, it seems like, like other programs are. And, yes, he does bring in a five-star kid here and there. Hell, for next year's class, he's got Xavier Booker from Cathedral High School in Indiana, one of the top five players in the country. He's still good to do that, but he's not bringing these overwhelming classes between five-star kids, four-star kids, and the blend that you need now with the – transfer portal guys he's against all that and you mentioned it josh that just he's he's so out of touch with these guys you know between transfer portal and nil that these top guys that he does bring in get out of there as soon as they possibly can i mean you don't see any of these top even guys who come in and i don't want to say fail but are mediocre they they find somewhere else to go they don't stick it out because i just think he's so far you know out of touch 
Yeah, in this day and age of college basketball, you either adapt or you perish, and it seems like he's just not adapting. You can go to the one-and-done era. He didn't really embrace the one-and-done era. Um, it took him a long time to do, and he really didn't even do it that much either. And then, obviously, now with the NIL and the transfer portal being as hot as it is, um, he just – I don't know what his deal is. I still like Tom Izzo, uh, Hall of Fame level coach, even if he only has one title. And Joshua, wasn't too long ago, our first preseason ECB poll, he was ranked – Michigan State was ranked number, number one. one. And yeah. they was on the verge when the tournament got canceled to miss the tournament that year. To be fair, they did lose Joshua Langford. Um, but still, they lost Joshua Langford the year prior with Cash Winston. And they still went to the Final Four and upsetted Duke with Zion and RJ and all those uh, stacked recruiting class that they Duke had that year. So, yeah, I don't know. I, I well, think and- the biggest test, Matt, and you guys can tell me if I'm wrong – that over the years, Michigan State has lost that intimidation factor. Used to, a team would have Michigan State, and you knew you are going to be in for a long night. And I'm not saying they're not competitive or good at times. That's not what I'm saying. But used to, you would see Michigan State across from you, and you thought, oh, shit, this is going to be bad. Now you look out and you're like, oh, okay, this will be tough, but eh, we can navigate it. And I think that's the biggest testament to it. Well, and Peyton briefly mentioned like the NIL and stuff. And part of me wonders too, like where's like the magic Johnson led NIL collective for this team. Like they just good point. They, they just don't seem to be embracing like any of the facets of college basketball that could make them elite right now. Good point. I mean, you see other programs putting it together or their star players or whatever. You don't really hear it from Michigan state. And it, that's crazy to me. You don't have to like it, but if it's the rules, you got to go by it to be successful. You don't well, have is, to like it. I'm just talking out of my ass a little bit here, but like it doesn't seem to me, in, in my recollection anyway, that Magic Johnson's really been around the program that much since Izzo's been. Like, is there an issue there? Do they not get along? Just well, he was coming around. Like you'd yeah. see him at tournament time and stuff like that. But yeah, I don't think here lately he's been coming around. Could be wrong, but I don't think so. So I don't know. Um, interesting stuff, though. Michigan State on the outside looking in. We'll have to keep an eye on the Spartans. But, fellas, the annual ECB Top 25 poll um, kind of covered it. You can find the full list that we have up on screen. It is on the Twitter, at ECB Podcast 10. It's on the Facebook group. It's pinned. Go find it. And it will be in the first-ever ECB preseason digital magazine. Cannot wait. Again, guys, Ladies and gentlemen, that comes out October 24th. Not this Monday, but the Monday after. It'll hit, if you've already pre-ordered it, it will hit directly into your email. Save the email file and have it on hand. Um, Hopefully by next, you know, one of these years, uh, we'll be able to print physical copies. But email, you can sit there wherever you're at in the world. Get on your phone, laptop, tablet, whatever device that you can access your email You'll have it right there. You'll be able to go to whatever team you want to go look at, whatever conference. It'll cover the the preseason poll. It'll have the top 50 players in America, according to us. It'll have all the stuff to get you ready for the upcoming college basketball season. Cannot wait for you guys to see that. Um, fellas, one last plug on the magazine. What else can they expect? Because I know we're excited about it. Uh, you know, just like you guys mentioned, we, we covered – every power six team with a preview. Um, we have conference previews. Um, we talk to people from around the country that may be, you know, more locked in in certain areas than we are. So, you know, thank you to like, I'll be back. 
uh, a Temple basketball podcast. You know, they gave us some Temple stuff. Um, Nick Lawrenson from Mid Major Madness helped us out with you know some notes from some Mid Major teams. So you know, we just we really are trying to give you the most locked in information that we can. You know, that you're not going to find everywhere. This isn't hopefully going to be the preview that you see on Yahoo.com or something. This is going to be a little more intimate and a little more locked in than than most of what you're going to find. Yeah, man. Uh, like I said at the beginning, I'm excited to have this magazine finally come out. All the hard work that we put in, especially in the last couple of weeks, man. I've pretty much locked myself in my room day in and day out trying to get this magazine um, ready to go and get all the previews done for the conferences and all the conferences that I did. Um, and just be on the lookout. Like I said, top 50 players. We were doing that day by day. Uh, 40 players, 41 through 46, will be out tomorrow, probably around noonish, like it was today. Uh, so be on the lookout at that. Uh, the magazine's 10 bucks. Go to Etsy. Either go to our Facebook. Should be it's pinned at the top of the um, the um, Facebook. Uh, face, group. Yeah, thank you, Facebook group. Um, if you can't find it there, just go to our Twitter. It's on there as well. And if you can't find it there, just send me a message or one of us a message, and we'll send you a link on it. Go get your magazines. It's one of the best magazines coming out for college basketball-wise. And I tell you what, it's going to be a lot better than Lindy's. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hell, we we could half-ass it and be like them. But uh, seriously, if you don't get, hold on, real quick before we let them go. If you don't get it, I will fuck your grandma. Oh, or as like my Mexican friend at work, Pedro, likes to say. They got, no, they got Dito, which means you're a goat fucker. Um, <laughs> uh, no, but seriously, guys, from the bottom of my hearts, if you've purchased the magazine, we say thank you. Um, the fact that anybody's bought one and the more or less the numbers we have done is just mind blowing. We've got so much stuff coming at your way, coming at you. We told you months ago that year five was going to be the best and biggest year yet. Don't forget when the season starts in December time, we'll run the ECB uh, pick em polls. We've got contests. We've got, if you're not part of the Facebook group, go join it now. Everything college basketball on the search group or search bar at ECB podcast 10 on the Twitter. Find us on YouTube. Give us a subscribe because I promise you with all the content coming out and the contests and games and information, you're not going to miss what ECB has to offer because baby, um. we are on the come up. Real Maybe. quick, yeah, real quick, Josh, you mentioned fucking goat fucker. It seems like the goat got fucked as Tennessee takes down Alabama 52-49 with the 40-yard field goal as time expires. Oh, wow. Bama, Bama missed the field goal. Bama missed the field goal with 15 seconds left. Wow. You can catch out on everything college foot. No, I'm just kidding. We don't have coming, one of those. Coming, <laughs> coming next year, baby. <laughs> no, I'm just It'll kidding. Be the house that ECB built, baby. Yeah. Yeah, the house that ECB built. I like that. But seriously, guys, I hope you guys enjoyed this, kind of our, our thought process, breaking down everything in our annual top 25. As we mentioned, this will be a weekly thing once the season gets rolling. But fellas and ladies and gentlemen listening, as we sit here at 7.52 p.m. Eastern time on October 15th, we are 23 days away from the return of the greatest sport in or on planet Earth. We thank you for listening to episode 118 of Everything College Basketball. For Peyton, for Phil, I've been your host, Josh Burton. We hope you guys have a great rest of your night and weekend, and we will catch you next week for episode 119 of ECB. Till then, have a good night.